This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are going to be discussing the only movie which Gene Roddenberry actually wrote himself, Pretty Maids All in a Row. And to do that, we're joined by Todd Gilchrist. How's it going, Todd? Good. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing great. Thanks a lot for joining us. We're doing all right. <laughs> Now, now, Todd, you're a film critic, a, a real live someone who actually gets paid to write about movies film critic, huh? That is true, yes. I, uh, I've actually been writing in Los Angeles for 13 years. I moved here in uh, 2001. Uh, but currently I'm working full-time actually for uh, the Chinese. Uh, as, <laughs> no, uh, for a Chinese-language entertainment site, which is essentially like a combination of like the IMDb and Yahoo Movies and and uh, Fandango all rolled into one. They get about ninety million unique visitors per month, um, wow. and so and so. I basically I, I do all the same stuff that I've been doing for the last thirteen years. I just started doing it very recently, exclusively for them. So, does this stuff ever get translated back into English or or not? Uh, only via Google Translate, which is hysterical. Um, I've written, I think, six or seven features thus far that have been put up on the site. And after the first one, which was uh, basically just a feature about the the reading of the hate uh, the hateful eight that they did here in Los Angeles, I, uh, I I put it out and just said, "Here, look at this through the Google Translate." And everyone was like, "This really makes your writing look terrible." And I. Uh, Probably agree, but also it was hysterical to me that there were no verbs in anything I wrote, apparently, uh, in, in the process of translating it between uh, first to Chinese and then back into English after they edited it. <laughs> verbs are for suckers anyway. Exactly, exactly. So am I right in thinking that back in the day you wrote for uh, Box Office Magazine? I did indeed, yes. Yeah, see, Max and I, our, our secret origin is that we were both projectionists at a movie theater, so we would read that thing all the freaking time back in mm. the day, and uh, we were always very impressed by it. By so. secret origin, you mean the thing that we mention all the time. Yeah, the thing that we always talk about. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, was a, I, I actually uh, was a projectionist and, uh, and worked at theaters myself. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's actually how I was able to move out to... Los Angeles because I was working for AMC and I was able to transfer from Miami, Florida, which is where I was living after oh. I graduated from college, uh, out here. And, uh, and then I got fired for not having enough ambition to want to, I guess, run AMC. But, uh, <laughs> I feel like it worked out for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it did. Yeah. 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 I, I, I kind of rediscovered you about a year ago when you were on Twitter. I think you were live tweeting, um, Boogie Nights as it was on like in the middle of the night while I was sitting at a movie theater watching like some Nicholas Sparks movie for work and I was like oh my god everything that you're saying about this movie is what I've been saying for the past you know 
10 years and <laughs> I feel like you're a kindred spirit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's my favorite movie of all time. Mine, mine too, by oh, far. God, that's crazy. And, and Max's whatever, but, <laughs> um, but I have a feeling that Max's opinion on Star Trek into darkness is more in sync with yours. So, so, Oh, do you have the correct opinion? <laughs> uh, that it's, pretty terrible yeah well i mean yeah. like it actually is worse than some serial killers <laughs> so i um my, the first piece that one of the last piece i wrote for i think it was movies.com when that movie came out was why there's no star trek and star trek into darkness so yeah i, I read that and while i don't really agree with what you're saying i think you do make some interesting points and it's definitely worth worth a read mm. for sure now, what about Star Trek on the whole? Are you a fan or or not? Or I yeah, actually, I'm a I'm a pretty huge fan. It's interesting. I, I was having a conversation earlier today about the fact that when I uh, when I was a little kid, the first movie I ever saw was Star Wars. Um, but what I realized the difference really between Star Wars and Star Trek is that Star Wars really is more of sort of an adolescent fantasy, and I don't mean that in any like pejorative way, but it, it really feels designed more for sort of an adolescent mindset, whereas Star Trek has many more sort of lofty concepts and ideas, and I'm, and I'm completely uh, an original series fan, really more, almost exclusively. Hmm. Um, and, so, and so what I really like is now going back and, and, and really immersing myself watching, you know, episodes of the original series and being sort of a gobsmack that in you know 1966 they were you know creating these sort of metaphorical explorations of like virtual war and all these other things that really are are never even remotely addressed um almost anywhere in in the other sci-fi that I watched when I was growing up yeah okay well well if you're if you're an original series fan then i guess uh today's movie is kind of a good a good pick for you because maybe it explains why why you like this movie too it the movie is pretty maids all in a row as we said it was written by gene roddenberry and it was produced by him as well and it was directed by roger vadim who directed uh tons of movies including a lot of those movies that you know about that you might not have seen yes <laughs> or you might have seen but assumed that you dreamed it mm -hmm. because really it's just nuts yeah and God Created Woman was his first, I believe, and then he also did yeah. Barbarella, is mm -hmm. probably his his most famous. So, let's just get into the to the movie itself. Now, in a lot of ways, it seems like a, a fitting movie for both of these people. But also not. Now, Max, you want to just give a, a brief synopsis of the film for those people who may not be familiar? Okay. Well, I mean, God, well, if you ever if you ever find yourself looking at this movie and wondering if you should see it. Yeah. It's so weird because it's not, you. I mean, I didn't know that there was murder. <laughs> I had no idea that there was murder in this movie. I, I, I had seen the poster a million times. I'd seen the cover of the box a million times. I'd read Gene Roddenberry and I'd read like, like a cursory examination or summary. And I was like, I don't understand why that's a thing. I just assumed it was like one of those weird things that somebody has in their credits. That it's like, okay, M. Night Shyamalan wrote a movie set in a Catholic high school. I guess yeah. that's <laughs> weird. Um, and but like you know, when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is incredibly weird and oddly fitting with a lot of the stuff that we know about Gene Roddenberry that isn't really so much Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, for those people who don't know, it's uh, basically a a teen sex comedy. 
Well, but it, but mm, there's it, a guy hooking up with a bunch of hot teenage girls. Yeah, and murdering them. <laughs> So maybe it was originally intended to be a teen sex comedy, and it became something <laughs> a lot more bizarre. But yes, it, but it's it, still funny. It is. It is definitely funny with it's the a, murdering. With the murdering, it's a teen sex comedy set against hmm. the backdrop of a serial killer. Yeah, and the guy like who's doing, or this. vice versa, or, or vice uh, versa. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, just to, to place this in the proper historical context, the movie came out in 1971, which was two years after the original series uh, ended, of course. And um, Roddenberry did produce it himself. From what I read, uh, it was produced by MGM, and they were, at that point in time, kind of out of touch with what the kids wanted. And this was their attempt to... Uh, make a teen sex comedy and they figured well who better to give it to than gene roddenberry and roger vadim who had never made a, a movie here in the u.s before this was his first first u.s film i think maybe only u.s film i'm not sure well, he did the i think he made and god created woman he remade it in the 80s and i think that was english language so okay oh. all right yeah that makes sense all right so now todd are you a, a Roger Vadim fan in general, or is it just this movie that stands out? You know, I sort of admire him. I, basically, the the fact that he was able to, you know, sleep with Brigitte Bardot, Jane Fonda, and um, Catherine Deneuve is kind of like that's the hat trick, basically. Um, but Spoilers? In, in, even if he had, well, <laughs> even if he had never done anything else, made films, that would be awesome. But um, but you know. I'm a huge fan of Barbarella, um, and and I think um, uh, and God Created Woman uh, is is like an incredible movie. It's it's a movie maybe not unlike this in that you look at it sort of superficially as you know this sort of young girl acting out as she's involved with this you know sort of feckless young man, um, but it ends up being this sort of like really interesting uh, sort of conflict between you know, sort of the expectations that are placed on her as a, as a woman and, and sort of her own acting out to achieve her own sexual independence and her own sexual liberation. And, uh, and so I don't know all of his movies, uh, certainly as well as I do this one or in God created woman, but, um, but I am a, a fan of his cause, and I just, I sort of like, um, he, he, he never quite went into the sort of pure, uh, like sort of sexploitation, uh, there was a, there was I think a, a real um, sort of philosophical underpinning to these movies, even if they were maybe if you're like if you're watching Pretty Maids all in a row, it's it's almost undetectable. I feel like it it is kind of strange how like all of his movies do seem to have that sort of you know sexploitation element to them, and it's like when you look at it on the surface, like that seems to be what they are. But like you're saying, there is sort of something else going on beneath the surface of all of them. Well, there'd have to be because I mean, like anybody, anybody who's ever been a teenager knows that sexploitation in its purest form is very stupid <laughs> and it's not very creative. And if, you know, if men show up with wings, you've clearly spent more time thinking about it than just purely sexploitation. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, for, for me personally, I, I had seen, Barbarella back in college, and, and I loved that movie, you know, in a big, bad way. But at the same time, I, I did kind of never really take it seriously because I did see it as sort of like a science fiction sexploitation film. 
But you know, you'd go to Tower Records and you'd get those those Criterion Collection books with you know all the descriptions of the movies, and you know I'd see and God Created Woman directed by Roger Vadim, and I'm like really like the guy who did barbarella did something in the criterion collection and for whatever reason but i mean doesn't didn't Bar- didn't they do barbarella in the criterion collection? oh man i wish they haven't done no. it they, I, I wish too wow that's wow. weird that's weird how can they have done the rock <laughs> well but not barbarella they did, uh, armageddon they did armageddon yeah so oh, i forgot about armageddon so maybe that's that... a much better example of ridiculousness <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that theory about the uh, validity of the criterion, although I do like Michael Bay, so whatever. Oh my god! Anyway, okay. okay. Let's so anyway, fight all the battles right now. Anyway, so so there was that thing always in the back of my mind, which even though I I had never seen and God created woman, it made me look at like Barbarella more seriously because I felt like he was a serious filmmaker, even if it didn't seem to be. Well, if you've ever read like those like like French comic books essentially like french graphic novels they have a very weird there's a long history of really fascinating science fiction and fantasy in comic book world from europe Mm -hmm. and france especially there's there's a lot of awesome stuff coming out of that country in comic book form through the past like 40 years Mm -hmm. and some of it is really really awesome and barbarella like even if you'd never read one of those or like didn't know anything about it or know that it was based on one of those, you'd recognize the pieces. Yeah. Because it's very in that mold. And the idea of like adapting it into a f- feature film is crazy just on the face of it. That's yeah. a ridiculous decision. You yeah. should never do that because it's going to be ridiculously expensive. <laughs> and then you add like sex and 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 like weirdly like sci-fi science fictionalized sex and it gets into crazy territory but clearly you don't do that without thinking about it for a long time yeah 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 you know a couple years ago they were talking about remaking barbarella which i actually was kind of excited about i would love to see like a modern sci-fi sex farce but i was like but then they started talking about how you know, Robert Rodriguez was going to do it and it would be Rose McGowan. Or I think even before that it was like Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. to me, like a great part of the appeal of that movie is certainly not, um, her, her, um, like victimization, but the fact that she sort of almost like naively floats through these experiences and her own sexual charge is so intense that she just kind of like conquers any obstacle in front of her. And uh, and I would love to see a movie like that, like an R-rated yeah. remake of that movie that was actually fun and funny, not like oh we're you know we're going to make her into Trinity from the Matrix or something like that. I, I I like the idea of that of that sort of naive sexuality combined with that, as you were saying, sort of like you know this this sort of crazy um, landscape of of sexual devices and and little weird uh, dolls and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I I have I have a lot of things about the movie that I love quite a bit, but I do actually really hate that excessive machine sequence. <laughs> really, I because because to me that's the subtext. Yeah, like the whole movie is making a statement, and that scene is like she's the Trinity, but of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like I got that already. Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. I guess. Okay, so now moving on to Pretty Maids all in a row, you know. I, I had always sort of, you know, I guess just the nature of, of the way that people look at movies, and myself included, you know, I always thought of this as the, the Roger Vadim movie that Gene Roddenberry wrote. 
but now actually seeing those it, are all accurate things but 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 no well no because now seeing it <laughs> and and you know looking at the other people who were involved and, and everything and hearing sort of the backstory i kind of now think it's the gene roddenberry movie that roger vadim directed does that make any sense it does but not in the way that you think it does okay <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, to me, the, the reason why I say that is because, well, for one thing, he wrote and produced it. And you look at some of the people involved with the crew, like William Ware Tice was the costume designer. And up until that point, the only thing he had ever done was Star Trek. He's since gone on to be nominated for Oscars and all that good stuff. But it's like, what, was that coincidence or just, I mean, to me, it feels Gene Roddenberry coming from television was probably producing this movie in a very sort of television way, you know, hiring crew members and assembling a team as opposed to, you know, hiring a director who's like an auteur and doing it that way. Even, you know, James Doohan is in it and, and William Campbell and everything. Well, this brings up a thing I wanted to ask both of you guys because there's a part of my brand that thinks that this might be Rosebud. I don't know what that means. Like, this is the thing that secretly tells us everything we need to know about oh. this character that character being gene roddenberry yes okay because in a way like this fit in a way my understanding of gene roddenberry the man much better than anything else perhaps now todd do you are you familiar with gene roddenberry's history or, or not? uh some of it some of it i mean i've uh, you know certainly because of my affection for star trek um like and and just sort of paying attention to the history of that franchise um i'm familiar with some of it um you guys i'm sure probably better versed than i am but but i definitely will say that i i feel like he always had the sense that uh, in, in my in my opinion, that the younger generation had a, a much clearer sense of what the future was going to be like than than sort of the, the previous one, and and I feel like that's what a lot of this movie is about. I mean, that's why you watch, you know, Vadim's sort of uh, you know nonstop parade of absolutely perfectly beautiful women who all basically eclipse the sexual experience, the sexual perspective, the sort of liberated sense of, uh, of physicality um, that, that completely like, you know, stymies and, and confuses and, and kind of like freaks out, you know, uh, Telly Savalas' character or the, the adults who are sort of watching them like freak out, you know, who, who are watching them like giggle about how prudish, they are even asking them questions. They're like, oh, did he make any overtures? And the girl just busts up laughing because she's like, overtures? She's like, do you mean, you know, did he send me love letters? Yes, he did that. But I don't know why you're using all this euphemistic language. And I, I think that that's sort of reflective of sort of that, that um, I, I don't mean futuristic in a sort of sci-fi sci way, but, you know, sort of a very forward-looking perspective on uh, a more liberated sense of, uh, of possibility, I think, for culture in general. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that does make a lot of sense. Well, yeah. I mean, like, it's sort of a thing. I mean, it's throughout science fiction, and it's sort of an ongoing thing. In, like, novels, you see it a lot. Like, people addressing sort of the future of, of like, sexual character and, and, and politics and sociology. And, but, like, you know, in movies and television, it's really hard to get that content in because... People like producers and, and and studios and everybody just freaks out. Um, but like in sci-fi novels, I can't tell you how many times people have 
gone into the history of like sexual politics and the the psychology of a culture's perspective on sex changing yeah. over time. Yeah, and although it's actually getting a little bit for a brief period, we might be in one of those places where it gets a little bit worse mm-hmm. before it gets better. <laughs> and and I mean, I guess I can see sort of like building on that, you know, like Roddenberry coming from television. I imagine that he would have a hard time uh, tackling these issues with the restrictions of television and and being able to sort of, you know, spread his wings, you know, here in in the feature film world was probably very... uh, He also clearly tries now and then. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't... I mean, like, it kind of... It feels feels like, you know, he's trying to fly with, you know, his wings taped to his side. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I know what you're doing, man. You want to talk about how maybe we don't need to be monogamous. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to work if, you know, everybody's a brain in a jar. Yeah. It's just not going to come out. And and here, you know, I, I feel like, you know, this was, you know, his first, his only time, you know, in that, that feature film world. And he was just like, screw it. I'm putting in everything. Well, you know? in a weird way, it's also, it's also still feels kind of hampered because it's like, this is not really so much about the future, but it's about the now. It's about like how the now with all of the stigma and all of the, 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 the conflict about sexuality it inevitably does result in more pain than the alternative. Mm-hmm. I mean, like these girls are not dead because they had sex. They're dead because it was illegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and on top of that, you know, the fact that all of the authorities are focusing on uh, th- that aspect, the sexual aspect of it, you know, whether they got, I, I think, uh, Brenda Sykes, who plays an African-American student, I mean, she says at one point, they're like... First to die, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> well, she, she says, you know, was there anything unusual, uh, you know, uh, did you receive any unusual, um, you know, interludes by men? And she's like, the only thing that would be unusual is if I didn't receive them. Yeah. And, you know, and they're kind of mystified by this. Um, and, you know, and the fact that their focus, their their sort of shock is on, you know, the fact that these women are are sort of sexually liberated um, is it, only evidence is the fact that they're completely not paying attention to what's like basically plainly in front of them, who is the, the culprit in, in these murders. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's that whole thing in the beginning where, you know, the kids going around and, you know, Roddy McDowell, you know, he's saying like, oh, she's in the bathroom and Roddy McDowell's like, what, what, you know, oh my God, you know, and he's, she said, he's saying, you know, no, no, it's okay. She's dead. You know, like, no, it's not. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of on the nose, but, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, there's a little I mean, on the nose. In this there's, there's, there's a little on the nose, but that's okay. Okay. So now let's talk about how Roger Vadim sort of gets into where how he fits into this i don't know who knows the exact sequence of events but i can totally see gene roddenberry as as a producer saying like well we need to get a director roger vadim he seems like a good choice i think that we're on the same wavelength here because we have the same ideas about a lot of things you know even even the the sort of non-sexual things like in barbarella the whole idea that she's from such an advanced society that the idea of having a weapon, you know, let alone using it is just repulsive to her, you know, because we've evolved beyond that, which is what Star Trek was, you know, all about. Well, sort of. With a lot of shooting. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, 
but with lots and lots of guns. Yeah, which is kind of what Barbarella is too, you know? It's kind of what the UN is. <laughs> so so the idea that these two guys would hook up, I, I thought was, was rather fitting. I mean, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that both of them have, um, you know, a very progressive uh, attitudes about, about, you know... Um, you know, certain, certain cultural mores. I mean, you know, I think, I think Roddenberry's, uh, attitudes were, were a little broader. I mean, when you look at all the different kinds of subject matter that he addressed in, in Star Trek, but I mean, you know, even going back to 56, which is when, and God created woman came out. I mean, you watch that movie now and you're kind of mystified that that movie could even get made in 19, that it could have got made, you know, 50, like six years ago, much less 50, uh, and it's it's just an amazing um, uh, sort of amount of forethought in terms of looking at the writing in the wall, which is that you know younger people were at that time beginning to wake up and sort of explore their sexuality without the sort of puritanical fear that uh, of their predecessors, and and I think that that makes them uh, I think a good team in particularly in exploring um, this. This story, this particular story. Yeah, it seems like their their personal history too uh, sort of mirrors each other. You know, like both of them, mm. in terms of their relationships with women, uh, rather. Um, okay, let's just. I'm just saying. You all know, right. No, and and because that, apparently that's, we're going there. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying because that's an issue which is certainly dealt with in this movie. You know. It is. I mean, the the main character is, you know, a married man who's having affairs with lots and lots of women. Yes. And it it's kind of interesting how they sort of deal with that character and that he is clearly the villain, but at the same time, he's extremely charismatic. And, and in, in a lot of ways, he's almost the protagonist. He's, he's This is a very strange movie in, in that, like, it's very easy to see him as the villain. But it's also very easy to see the the possibility of they're doing kind of like a weird sort of Walter White thing where it's like he's he's a villain because of his situation and his society mm-hmm. and being a product of his time. And you can make that argument, but I mean ultimately, like they wouldn't have died had it been acceptable. Yeah. If it was not so dangerous to be outed as somebody having sex with a lot of women who aren't your wife and possibly under 18, like, that would be a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. It would be a big deal and the world would probably involve fewer murders. <laughs> okay, so what about the movie itself? Uh, now, Todd, I know that, that you, you've said that you're, you're a big fan, but, um, I mean, just like, what, what, what do you think about the movie in general? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of unwieldy. I mean, the fact, I, I mean, honestly, the, the the sort of murder mystery is is of negligible importance. I mean, it's it's like incidental to actually what the movie's about. And you know, the first time I saw it was during, I mean, it was probably oh six oh seven uh, when Quentin Tarantino did one of his Grindhouse festivals at the New Beverly here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he just showed it one night, and I went up there and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I, you know, it's Roger Rodin, it's Gene Roddenberry, whatever, and I watched it and I was kind of blown away. Uh, I guess, admittedly. Primarily by the fact that Roger Rodin assembles more beautiful women in this movie than I've seen, like in any movie ever, practically. I mean, the 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 girls in it are just like gorgeous. But the more times that I have watched it since then, the more that I realize. I mean, just looking at it again last night in preparation for this, I realize, you know, that there really is something going on. It's about, I mean, 
we think about a, a, a we live in a time when there are uh, these you know sort of these Elliot Roger kinds of tragedies, but like in a way, this is like a like a comedy about a kid who's like experiencing a little bit of the kind of alienation and loneliness and 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 lack of gratification that that would be acted out upon now. I mean, you know, then it's, it's played as a joke. Like this kid's just like crazy horny and he can't seem to connect with, with any girls, his own age. And the fact that, you know, he has this, um, this, this guidance counselor who essentially manipulates Angie Dickinson, who is like smoking hot by herself, uh, in the movie, um, into basically sort of seducing him to help him, achieve some degree of sexual liberation there's something like really funny about that in a like a broad sex farce kind of way and at the same time you know um again i think there's like something about the fact that all of the women in this movie are as um as active if not aggressive about their sexual desires uh as the men are mm-hmm. yeah. it, it, it's it, the whole thing is i mean it's easy to dismiss it because it is a serial killer story in a really sort of strangely superficial way. Mm-hmm. But it like it, I have a hard like I have a hard time saying that it's good. Mm-hmm. Because there are some aspects of it that feel so unbelievably dated that I that I find them a little bit alienating. But like there is a part of me that really responds to the idea that this is a movie that's dealing with like something that is a is like a legitimate crisis. Like it's it's a seriously dangerous thing. And it doesn't have a name. And it's just like, we can't talk about this thing. And that's the crisis. And this crisis is so bad that we need to make a movie about how dangerous this crisis is. And the crisis is that nobody thinks that there's a crisis, but it is. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, it's weird because watching this movie, I, I, I enjoyed it while I was watching it. But at the same time, I was kind of like struggling with... Like, what is it good or not? I mean, does does it is it just surface level stuff, or or is there something going on? Beneath I think. It? And, see, for me, the the surface level stuff is the stuff that pushes me away. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, I found it to be extremely entertaining, but at the same time, I was kind of like, well, what is the point that that is trying to make? And and it's you know, but it stuck with me for a while, and you know, in thinking about it, it I was like, huh, that's it's interesting. Actually, it's actually very interesting. I'm fairly certain that I saw this movie as a kid. Because yeah. uh, a lot of imagery like really popped when I was watching it, yeah. and I was like, "This feels really familiar. This feels really familiar. This feels really familiar." So like maybe I saw it, but I mostly remember the feeling mm-hmm. of thinking like, "Oh, this is terrifying. The world is terrifying. The future of uh, of sexual relationships. My God, <laughs> I think I'm gonna stick with my GI Joes and not be a man for as many years as possible." <laughs> I, like I. T- to to your point about you know uh, sort of the superficial versus what's underneath, I, I, I like I'm I'm inclined to I, I'm inclined to agree with Max in that you know I feel like the superficial stuff is what kind of turns me off a little bit. But mm-hmm. I mean, when you watch Rock Hudson and Angie Dickinson and the way that he sort of manipulates her, as problematic as that probably is, uh, like there's something that's like really funny and like kind of sexy about it too. Like the his his sort of real nonchalance at at, at sort of trying to sort of kill two birds with one stone by recognizing that she uh, is a little bit lonely and recognizing that this kid is having some problems. And, you know, all that stuff is actually, I think, very well written. I mean, the way that they sort of handle it. I mean, some of it is, like, very broad and silly, but 
but at the same time, like it all, it, it, I would say there's nothing in this movie that really feels that it in particular stands out. Like it all fits together in a, in a, in a way that's, um, maybe collectively, like I said, sort of unwieldy, but I, but I do, um, enjoy it. And there's stuff that makes me laugh, um, in it genuinely, uh, you know, even if I think ultimately it's, you watch sequences and you're watching like, you know, this football game where, uh, you know, these, these guys are getting killed and he goes and gives them a pep talk and you're kind of like, what does this have to do with anything at all? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's taking, you know, five minutes of the movie where you're like, shouldn't they be dealing with something else that's actually relevant to what we've been watching? But, you know, but it is very, I, I think there's a lot of fun to be had you know, maybe taking with a little bit of a grain of salt or, or at least knowing the context of the two people who were maybe most responsible for it being Vadim and Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There, there were points that I found so boring that I went into like anthropologist mode, trying to figure out what they were saying. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely, I definitely reverted to that mode because, uh, you know, sometimes like it's the only way to make sense of something. Yeah, basically every moment in Eyes Wide Shut. Mm. All right, come on now. All right, well, well just saying. Well, well, well I, I think Eyes Wide Shut's a masterpiece. So. I, I totally agree with you on that one. So <laughs> well, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that it's very boring. Okay, you're crazy. But <laughs> whatever. Yes. Oh, that is a crazy assertion. <laughs> this is what I have to put up with. You okay. um, I, I, I have to put up with you liking superficial movies. All right, fair enough. Okay. So speaking of people liking superficial movies um, and pretty maids all in a row. Uh, you were saying that, that you went to see uh, Tarantino's presentation of this a few years ago and uh, somewhat famously or infamously in the last Sight and Sound poll, which was done a couple of years ago, Tarantino put this on the list as one of his top ten films of all time. Um, How famously is this? I don't know. So I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I heard of it. You know, I mean, whatever. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> there you go. See, <laughs> what, what do you guys think about that? I mean, why? I mean, I can totally understand Tarantino liking this movie, and it doesn't surprise me in the least that he loves this movie. But for him to put it in his top ten of all time, I can. Well, what, why do you think he did that? I guess. You know, I, I mean, my my feeling is that you know he's such a fan of like. American International and all these, you know, all that sort of grindhouse stuff from the seventies, but he never looked at that stuff. I feel like in that way, and I, and I think there's something really appealing about um, sort of his open mindedness to the real content of movies that we might dismiss as being sort of genre, you know, uh, dreck. And um, I mean, I don't know that I would ever put this anywhere near my top 10 of all time. Um, but I don't, but it's one of those things where like, I can sort of understand, um, for a person who really sort of admires it's, it, it's sort of ambition and it's, uh, sort of zeitgeisty, um, uh, insight, uh, that, that I could, I can get the idea of it, of somebody going, if they saw it at the right time or at a specific moment in their lives that they were like, wow, this has really opened my eyes about the fact that you can have a movie that has like a revolving door of beautiful women that doesn't just uh, use them as window dressing, but actually uses them to make a point 
a larger cultural point. And, uh, and you know, in that regard, I like, like I can see it again. I, I, I'm not sure I think it's as good a movie as, as he does, but, uh, but I, I like that idea of, you know, sort of looking at, at movies that we might dismiss, you know, I, I'm always excited to hear, like if somebody could mount a great argument for why the second Transformers movie is like this incredible metaphor for, the Iraq war or abortion or whatever it is. I mean, like, you know, and somebody could really find that in the text and, and sort of deconstruct it. I think that's, that's pretty brilliant. Um, you know, I don't know that it's always there. Um, and I, but I imagine that if you asked him why it is that he liked the movie, I bet he could provide you an explanation that's that substantial to justify it. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and I, I agree with all that. And that was kind of my thinking originally, like what you were saying about him seeing it maybe at the, the, the right moment in time. And because I, I definitely have movies like that where, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of the same type of thing. You know, it, it's a kind of opened my eyes to possibilities that I, I didn't know were out there otherwise. But then I read that he didn't see this until way, way later, like the 90s, like after he was like established. I and that kind of like throws the whole thing off to me. The only thing that I can think of, like, the the, I, I have a feeling that the reason why he put this on on his list is because he knew that people like us would be talking about it, and maybe that would bring attention to it. Whereas something like Citizen Kane doesn't need any more attention, you know, placed on it. Everyone's going to go see Citizen Kane, but maybe Tarantino thought, you know. Pretty Maids All in a Row is something which no one's seen. If I say it's one of the ten best movies of all time, that means people are going to go see it, and that's worth it right there. I, I think that holds as much water as any other theory. My, like I've seen Quentin Tarantino talk about lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things. Sure. And the one universal rule is that his opinion changes hourly. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, like I don't really think that there's much significance to a top ten list that he published once. No, yeah, I mean you're right, and, and so, it, 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 it wasn't on any of his other top ten lists. So he's done I, a ton of them. So I think what happened is that he was thinking about it that sure. week. I could see that. Or I mean, I don't know how, how busy his week is. He might have just been thinking about it for the ten minutes that he spent dealing with this one task. That's quite possible because yeah. he does do this all the time. This is sort of like like his second career is talking about things online, which is awesome. By the way, that's a word that you use to describe it. I I, I love <laughs> like when filmmakers and people who I admire talk about the art that inspires them. I find that to be really interesting. To me, sometimes when I hear Quentin Tarantino talk, and some I mean like lots of the filmmakers actually, to me it's kind of like a like a fat chef talking about all the food they like, well, that's and fine. it's like. I know that you like food. You're a chef and you're fat. <laughs> it's it's fine. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have any It's like, I want to hear the skinny chef tell me what his favorite food is. Okay. Because it's obviously going to be the best. <laughs> okay. I don't okay. want to hear the fat chef has to say. Maybe, you know, maybe. I, I would say, um, you know, like, I, I look at it uh, a little bit like, um, 
you know, when you hear an album uh, by somebody you like and then you talk to them and they go, well, I was listening to this a whole lot at the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, I mean, Django is a great example in terms of Tarantino. The spaghetti westerns that Tarantino was watching when he made Django were not just the Sergio Leone movies that are sort of most commonly known. And, you know, and getting to go back and watch that or even, you know, with um, like I went to an event uh, when The Master came out where where Paul Thomas Anderson showed these films that were these uh, I think it was John Huston made these like documentaries about World War II veterans coming home and he literally took verbatim exchanges between these veterans and these sort of military therapists who were helping them reacclimate themselves for some of the stuff that Freddie Quell says in the movie. And, and it kind of gives you this new perspective. It gives you a greater sense of authenticity when you watch the master, but um, you know, sorry, not, not to over inflate pretty maids all in a row for Quentin Tarantino, but you know, to go watch, pretty made zone row and then maybe two movies from now you'll watch something and you'll be like oh well they did this weird thing in the background or this slight plot development or this character or something is was clearly inspired by that and it gives it uh you know a degree of maybe resonance or substance that it might not otherwise have had to you at the time when you're watching it yeah yeah that's true yeah sometimes you want to lose like uh, objectivity in order to get to some creative place. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, I think that's how Quentin Tarantino has lived for the past 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever works. <laughs> so, uh, Todd, any final thoughts on Pretty Maze All in a Row? You know, uh, I think that it's like, I think it's a really fun movie. I do. I, like, I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm not convinced that it's fully effective. I mean, certainly if you're going into it, uh, as you guys said, you know, thinking anything about the fact that it has murders in it or that it's a murder mystery. Um, you may be disappointed by the lack of, uh, I guess, intensity of that investigation. But I think that if, you know, if, if you can, if you can enjoy the, uh, the sort of, you know, banter, uh, the, the sort of, you know, sex farce banter and, and the characters, um, the way that they're rendered in this sort of like funny and, and, and slightly, um, culturally aware again for the zeitgeist way then i think there's something really enjoyable about it but um and the the score by Lalo schifrin is pretty good too so it's 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 uh like i said i i I think it's a good movie the more times i see it the more i like it i will say that you know and and i think if you watch it one time you're like what is this my girlfriend was watching it with me last night and she was just like i think this is not a good movie (laughs) and i'm like and i'm like i can't even argue i just was like i won't make you watch anymore and i finished watching it later and i was like but the fact that I had seen it four times before, and this was maybe the fifth or sixth time, and I was like, oh, there's there's more going on here than I expected. And I think that if you are intrigued enough by the the superficialities of its ideas and, you know, its attractive cast, then then you might be able to get to what's underneath that's more interesting. Yeah. Max? Definitely. No, I mean, that that's exactly my response. I, I really don't think it is... I don't think it's good according to most of the terms that people throw around. <laughs> but, um, like, generally speaking, like, I, I think a movie is good when it's worth talking about. And it's probably the most worth talking about movie that I've seen in the past few months. And honestly, this is a ridiculous month for me. I've watched a ridiculous number of movies. <laughs> and so many of them have been so devoid of significance that this movie that was kind of dull at times had stuff worth thinking about 
really, really stood out yeah. a lot. And that's a huge deal. So I don't really care if it's good according to what other people think. This is a movie worth seeing because it's worth talking about. And that's the only kind of good that really matters. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I, I think what you're saying is is true. And I think that it's similar to um, a lot of episodes of, of the original series, actually. You know, there's a lot of episodes where it's like, wow, that is such an amazing concept in an otherwise really boring episode. And uh, those things do tend to stand out, like you're saying. Um, I I did enjoy this. I You know, I, I, I while I was watching it, I was kind of like, yeah, the, what is there? The, the, it is an exploitation movie in a lot of ways, and I think just Doesn't like all like of the, one, well, maybe not, but because maybe not, but but just like all the really good exploitation movies, it does have you know stuff going on beneath the surface, and and I think that is is interesting to check out for those reasons, and I think it's also interesting to kind of uh, look at in terms of the careers of both Roddenberry and Vadim, and uh, just sort of. Um, yeah, uh, look at it that way. Try to try to see how how what it says about them as artists. So, and if you have an opinion on whether or not it's Roddenberry's Rosebud, please let us know because I really I'm very curious about that because I think it might be. Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, uh, where can people find you on the internet and whatnot? Uh, well, I've been sort of wrapping up, admittedly, uh, my English language uh, reporting in the last month. I actually just put, uh, wrote a few pieces for HitFix, uh, a set visit for the upcoming Transformers movie, which in fact is a uh, metaphor for abortion and the Iraq War. Um, I can't prove that, by the way. Um, uh, but no, no, I you know I've done some writing for them. I still uh, have a few pieces um, at uh, like Forbes, and as a matter of fact, I wrote an inter- I did an interview with Angie Dickinson in um, let's see when was this 2010 mm-hmm. about Pretty Maids All in a Row when they when um, uh, Warner Archive was putting it out. So uh-huh. you can look up on uh, Wall Street Journal's Speakeasy blog an interview that I did with her uh, talking. Uh, specifically about this movie um but other than that you know you can follow me on twitter if you want for me to live blog boogie nights or talk about air jordans or something like that yeah yeah what what, what do you think about the the new remastered air jordans are you excited or do you think it's just a cash grab you know i like i like the idea but I, right now I've, i i have sort of hit a wall where my holy grail remains the um the jordan five uh like a retro is fine. I'm not, I don't have to own the original editions or anything like that, but that's the only one that I really, I don't have that I want. And, uh, but the, the Jordan five Bel Air is like the coolest shoe I've ever seen. And, um, they were gone in 10 seconds. I'm still heartbroken. I'm, I'm glad we were able to bring this up now cause I'm crying, but, um, but, but Sorry. no, like I, no, 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 but you know, I, that's the kind of stuff uh, like on, on Twitter at MT Gilchrist and Instagram at uh, best dressed Todd. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, it was fun talking to Todd about Pretty Maids all in a row, but that's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> I mean, like, like it's it's been talked about, you know, by Shatner that he's like, oh, I wanted to have the Enterprise find God or something like that. Well, how does that work? You know, well, right. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work the way you're doing it in this movie. Earl Grey. 
What if it was like a geeky tween boy? Data, Data, where are you? They're just like, shut that off. <laughs> Mr. Data, I've got a problem. The Ready Room. When they finally do get rid of Decker, it's on Kirk's personal authority as captain of the Enterprise. And like, it seems to me if you're, say, a captain in the U.S. Navy and an admiral takes command of your ship, you can't just like get rid of him because of your personal authority as captain of the ship. The Orb. And again, it's, it's something as you know, as we said before, the system is not set up to allow him to express that idea in any other way. But by the spectacle of this trial, which would presumably be impossible to hide, it is a way for him to express this alternate viewpoint that maybe the, the morality of his society is, uh, is under threat. To the journey! We are here to talk to you about a very heavy-handed topic. This is kind of a dark area for us. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about death and Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. When they fall out the pod people, and they say, why, what year is it? And Data says, why, it's the Earth year 2364. I fell off my chair 47 <laughs> times. It's like, they just put the, oh, my, okay, okay. Warp 5. Archer doesn't close himself off to any possibility. He takes the evidence and comes to the best choice that he can. And that's not always easy for anyone but that's the kind of person that Degra is, too. Melodic Treks. In fact, it had two versions of the theme, one which ran from seasons one to three, and one which ran from season four onwards. Now, some people prefer the first music with the poignancy of the lone trumpet, others prefer the second incarnation. Continuing Mission. If we were to sort of able to rewrite the canon, the uniforms we've got, they were the uniforms in the middle of... Enterprise and TOS but because they were designed during a time when peace wasn't as prosperous as it is in the original series the uniforms did have a bit more of a militaristic look to them literary treks you know what I love about comics though sometimes is what happened here in this panel with Beverly and Troy clearly Troy's stunt double wandered into the scene I say is that Troy <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all of the links. Oh, mm-hmm. we have some feedback this week, by the way. There's a guy named Crazy Man who... Strangely, that's all that we know him by. Like, if you look at his email, it's Crazy Man. If you look at the name in his email, it's first name Crazy, last name Man. Like, we have never known him by anything other than Crazy Man, and he's been writing to us for years at this point. But that's okay. I like it. Anyway, he wrote to us, and he wrote to us about a lot of things on our other show, which you can find at CommentaryTrackStars.com. I just assumed it was actually his given name. Well, maybe it is. We'll have to ask him next time. But he also wrote to us about our uh, Larry Nemechek series. And here's what he has to say. I really enjoyed your interviews with Larry Nemechek. It got me really enthused about Star Trek The Next Generation, which I haven't watched since the mid-90s. I almost bought the companion listening, but the formatting on the Kindle version looks really cheap. Well, maybe it is. Who knows? But it's worth checking out. Even if you have to buy a used copy off of Amazon, you should totally do that. It's, it's totally. I mean, I 
prefer having a hard copy of these things. Yeah, it's worth it. Well, I mean, for no reason other than, like, it's actually a, a good thing to just sort of, like, flip through when you're bored. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He continues, can I offer a request for commentary, Trek Stars? The name <laughs> no, is... No, <laughs> we're not a band. <laughs> the name is Robert Butler. He only directed one episode of Star Trek, but it was possibly the most important, The Cage. A legend of TV, he directed episodes of some of the best shows in the medium, The Untouchables, The Fugitive, The Twilight Zone, and Batman. One of his Twilight Zone episodes features a pre-Star Trek George Decay. You know, we were just talking about Robert Butler last week. We've Lois talked and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He yes. directed the pilot for that. I, I hate to repeat myself, but I hate when you mention that show, every single time you mention that show, because honestly, I would really love for that to be excised from human history. I like that show. You shouldn't. It's un-American. Anyway, Robert Butler is definitely a possibility. I wouldn't hold your breath, crazy man, but it's a possibility. Certainly something which we have considered in the past. But if you want to pay somebody else to hold their breath, yeah, that's your prerogative. He continues, Is commentary Trek stars limited to just writers and directors? Will we ever get a Shatner cast? Oh, wait, he directed Star Trek V, so maybe he'll get in anyway. Yes, it is not limited yes, to it writers. Is not. <laughs> yes, it yes. isn't. Yes, you may get No, a... it is. Yes, you may get a Shatner cast. No, it is not limited to writers and directors. Um, we have talked about doing William Shatner numerous times in the past. We have come so close. You do not know how close we have come to doing William Shatner on numerous occasions. So close. So close. And we will be doing him at some point <laughs> in the near future. Um, and we were so close. We'll do him. And it, and it will be fun. And uh, So much fun. We have a couple of ideas. The one that sticks out that we're probably going to do first is uh, looking at the Shatner-verse, as I like to call it, which is all of the movies in which William Shatner plays himself. That's what you like to call it. Yes. We've also talked about doing a series on his musical albums. You have talked about wanting to do that. Yeah, and that, that could be a tough sell for Max, but I think it would be totally worth it. I just don't think it's that interesting. Well, I think that we could change your mind. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So look for some William Shatner in the near future. And no, we're not limited to writers and directors. It's kind of crazy. I'm actually shocked that all that we've done so it's far crazy, man. Is, is writers and directors. <laughs> um, so crazy. But we will get into some other stuff. I do want to get into some editors. I, I, I've always said I wanted to do Robert Wise as an editor. Well, I've wanted to do Stuart Baird as an editor. You just want to do Robert Wise because it would be easy. It, it wouldn't be easy, but it would be very interesting. Um and, you know, we've talked about cinematographers and actors for sure and everything. I mean, you can almost certainly expect a Will Wheaton series in, in the not-too-distant future. Oh, I've, I wanted to do that for a while. Yeah, so... But, so, like, because we don't want to do, like, the easy things. Sometimes we do. Well, I mean, I, 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 I try to avoid the, the ones that would be easy because I, I don't really like talking about them, if everybody has already talked about them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, that is to say, yes. So, yes. anyway, yes. We are not. To whatever question you have, the answer we're, is yes. The, except, don't do that. Okay, all right. 
<laughs> anyway, thanks for writing in, Crazy Man. And if you want to be like Crazy Man, you can do one of two things, or both. You can write to us at comtrackstars at gmail.com, or you can listen to our show, Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, on commentarytrackstars.com. So do those things. Be like Crazy Man and do that stuff. You'll like it, for sure. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep commentary Trek stars coming to you each week, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations, anyway. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobo Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on our website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are di- different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like and in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. I've got the Gorn badge, which yes. I keep on my book bag at all times because it's the bomb. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, on our business cards, I've got a Gorn, and you've got a Klingon. Yes, I picked the most Star Trek alien. And I picked the best Star Trek alien. Maybe, until Enterprise. It was pretty solid. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, that's it for Gene Roddenberry's career as a screenwriter. We will be back next week with Chris... From the Ready Room and every other show on the network. You don't need to say that. Okay. It's like, we'll be back with Larry King. (laughs) From, you know, all the things he's from. Right. Well, we will be back with that guy next week to talk about Benny Russell. 